So there that we're continuing on in the book of Acts, and that's not a traditional Christmas message. Nobody goes on Christmas morning. Well, few people go on Christmas morning to the book of Acts where Paul's arrested in the temple and say, oh, that's the perfect Christmas morning message. I was thinking, how do you turn this into a Christmas message? It's really easy. I found this out. It's real easy. You just take your notes, you print them on red paper, and put a Christmas tree at the bottom. You've got a Christmas message. Uh, as Pastor John and I were talking about how do you do we continue on with the book of Acts or do we make a shift and focus on the coming of Christ? And the more we talked about it, the more we, we came to just an agreement that, yeah, we want to go on through the book of Acts. And I was praying about this passage, and I was just thinking about, you know, most Christmases we focus on the gift, the gift of the coming of Jesus Christ. And and all around the world this morning, there are going to be pastors preaching on the gift of Christ coming. That is just kind of that typical message for Christmas morning. And we should never forget What a precious gift it is. While Christ came to bring salvation, and Scripture clearly tells us that His salvation is the free gift that He gives us. I want to stop and think about a gift that is just so precious. Have you ever gotten a gift and it is so precious to you because of who gave it to you? Have you ever received something that it becomes like one of your treasured possessions, or one of your prized possessions here on earth? On our Christmas tree, we have a little red toy airplane. It's about this long. And if anybody else looks at it, they go, oh, that thing looks kind of dusty. It's kind of old. And it is. Uh, my wife got it for me, like for our first Christmas together. And I thought that was so precious. I love that little ornament so much. I could not stand to put it away at Christmas. So I pulled the little plastic holly leaves that they had on the top of it. And for 40 years, it has sat on my desk. Some Christmases, like this Christmas, it makes it back to the tree. And other times, it just sits there. And I cannot look at that little plane without feeling how precious that, what looks like a little toy to everyone else, is to me. Because of who gave it to me. Jesus Christ came to bring a gift so precious it is so precious because it is a gift no one can afford nobody can buy the gift of salvation there's not enough money in the world no person can buy it you can't work for it you can't earn it no matter what you do you cannot buy the gift that jesus christ brings it's not possible 
It is a gift so precious no one can afford it. No one can buy it. But it's also a gift so precious that no one can afford to be without it. While we think about eternity, those that go into eternity without the gift of salvation and the eternal punishment that comes for rejecting that gift, the very gift of salvation here on earth as we live it out is a gift that is so precious that once you have it, you think, how did I ever live without this? It is a gift so precious that no one can afford to buy it and no one can afford to live without it. It's a gift that is received and is given to you and it is a gift worth suffering for. You can't earn it by suffering, but the gift of salvation will bring suffering to some extent in your life. And it is a gift so precious it's worth the suffering or even dying for and that's what we're reading about this morning as the apostle paul was suffering to take this gift to share the gift of salvation with others if you'll turn with me in your bibles to acts chapter 21 verse 27 I'll be reading from the ESV. Doesn't matter which translation you have, but you can follow along. When the seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen I did it again. Trophimus, the vision with him in the city, and they had supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort, and all of Israel was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran to them. And when they saw, when they saw the, the tribune, the soldiers stopped beating Paul. And the tribune took up, came, excuse me, and the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains inquired what he, who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, as they could not, as, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed crying out, away with Him. Heavenly Father, we've read Your Word together. Now to speak to our hearts as we see what Paul went through to proclaim the message. Lay on our hearts what You have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name. 
Amen. This morning, to really understand this passage, you need it in context. Uh, Pastor John over and over says, any text out of context is a pretext for whatever you want it to say. And you really have to be careful to make sure we get the context. But a few weeks ago, Hessel was talking about how Paul wanted to get back to Jerusalem. He had a goal. He wanted to be there by the feast. He's, he's trying to make it back. He, so much so, he couldn't even stop at Ephesus. He made the people from Ephesus go and meet him. Then we had where, where Paul was meeting all the people as he was traveling where he was connecting the church and they were learning about each other and the church is connecting and, and all of the brethren, they're getting to know each other, they're, they're seeing each other just as Paul travels through. And then last week, Pastor John was talking about how James talks to, to Paul and says, hey, you need to, to, to really try to connect with the Jewish people and, and uh, you should uh, take in these guys who they've made a vow and pay their offering for them. And you, you show them that you're not anti-Jewish. You, you, you go in there and, and do it. And, you know, we can debate what was going on. Paul had been warned that everywhere he went, he was going to be imprisoned. And affliction waited him. He knew it was coming. He knew that was going to happen. So he arrives in Jerusalem and James recommends this presenting an offering in the temple. Now, which James? There's a number of people named James in the Bible. And we believe it to be James the Lord, who is called the Lord's brother. James the Lord's brother. James the apostle or the, the disciple, one of the twelve, has already been executed. We saw that in chapter 15. He, you know, chapter 15 starts off with James being beheaded. And, and uh, so James the apostle was already dead. So this has to be another James, a James the Lord's brother, the writer of the book of James. And James's idea was to appease the Jewish people. Show them it's not true. You just go in there, you show them it's not true. You're gonna, they're going to learn that, yeah, you really do respect the Jewish customs and all that. And I really, in my opinion, it's to appease the Jewish people. Now, we know that James struggled with giving up Jewish customs. Uh, he is one of them that it really, he had that, that struggle in his heart um, we can see this out of Galatians chapter 12 or chapter 2 verse 12 but before certain men came from James he Peter and or Cephas was eating with the Gentiles but when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party the men from James were part of the circumcision party that way back, I mean, we're going right back to the very start of the church. They were already beginning to see what, what I feel, I think, are the beginnings of denominations, where, where you had the different apostles each presenting their view to their disciples, and, and there was this struggle. Part of that struggle is recorded in the New Testament. 
We see it, and it tells us. The Bible tells us about that struggle and what they had to do to overcome that struggle. So we know that James struggled with that. Last week, Pastor John challenged us, why did Paul do this? Maybe he shouldn't have gone into the temple to make an Old Testament sacrifice. And that he probably did it for a different reason. Paul wasn't trying to appease the Jewish people, but rather Corinthians, uh, this is again, Pastor John shared this last week, I have become all things to all people that by all means, means I might save some. Paul would do what he had to do if it meant that he had to, to go to the synagogue and sit through the, the service so that he could share Christ. He was going to do that. Remember, he's the same guy that took Timothy and had Timothy circumcised to deliver the letter saying you don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the ironies. But he did it so Timothy could be more effective at sharing with the Jewish people so that he could take Timothy into the synagogue with him. Because Timothy's mother was Jewish background, but his father was Greek. And everybody knew it. And if they was going to take Timothy into the, the synagogue, he had to go and go through that ritual. So Paul lived it out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23 I do all things for the sake of the gospel. See, that was how precious the gospel was. Paul has already undergone beatings. Paul has already been stoned and left for dead. Paul has already suffered so much. Paul has already been writing the letters. Pastor John, who was shared last week, how how. Paul may have just written a very, this, these events may have been very soon after writing of the book of Corinthians where he wrote these words, I become all things for the sake of the gospel. I do all of this for the gospel. Because to, to Paul, the gospel was worth dying for. He said, don't worry if I'm in prison. So what? If I die for the gospel, so what? I am ready. He was ready to give his life. And Paul, we know that Paul maintained a very close connection to the Jewish customs. One, he entered the synagogue. He went back to the synagogue. Those were his people. And he shared from his culture and his religious background. But we also know from Acts 18, uh, verse 18, that at Centuria he had his hair cut for he was under a vow, which was a Jewish custom. So he was still, he had part of the, his culture that traveled with him. That he hadn't totally given up. And so whether he should have gone into the temple or not, whether he should have, we can debate it. But Pastor John challenged us to say, or did he just do it to be effective for the gospel so the people there would listen to what he had to say? It's a good question. 
Here it was. They're coming to the end of a week. This cleansing and purification time as the guys were under a vow. They had to go in. They had to present an offering. And it's a week-long thing. And it's coming up. The seven days were almost complete. And what happens? Paul goes into the temple and he's attacked. Paul is attacked in the temple. In the temple itself. He's going in. He is presenting an offering. Now we notice the first thing, the people say that, they said he's a man teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. First, there's a misunderstanding of the gospel. What is the gospel message? Paul was not preaching against the Jewish traditions. He was not teaching against the temple. He taught that the children of Israel were God's chosen people and Jesus was the Messiah according to the Old Testament laws, rules, and prophecies. He, he, was, he was saying this is the completion. This is what our whole religion is about, is the coming of the Messiah. But they took it, many people took it as him preaching against them. And they said, no, it's not. It's not a preaching against. It's proclaiming the fulfillment of the law. And those who were not Jewish background, he did say, you don't have to follow those Old Testament laws. The entire church had made that decision. The entire church. The Council of Jerusalem in chapter 15 of Acts, uh, decided. James was one of them who decided. <laughs> in fact, that was part of last week's passage where James said, hey, you don't have to do that. They said, no, if you're not Jewish background, you don't have to do that. That's not how salvation comes. Salvation comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gift of God. You can't work for it. So it doesn't matter what type of physical body you have or what you do to the body. It is the heart that makes a difference. And that's the gospel message. Well, to someone from a Jewish background, they would say, well, then does that saying that all of this doesn't matter? That all that Old Testament is just done away with? And of course, New Testament says, well, Christ is the fulfillment. That's what it's been leading up to. And so there was a misunderstanding of what the gospel was actually proclaiming. It's not an anti-Jewish proclamation. It is a pro-salvation, a pro-faith for all people, not just for a few, not just for one race, not just for the people that join that religion, but Christ came to bring salvation to the world. 
first to the Jews. That's where it started. But then also to those not raised in a Jewish background. That's the message. They misunderstood what the gospel was. But you notice they also bring in false accusations. Because it says, He even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the fission with him in the city, and supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. You know what happens when you assume something? It's usually wrong. Okay, I won't finish that. It's, it's like assumptions are often wrong. They think he has done something wrong, which he had not done. They assumed something that he hadn't done. So you have a misunderstanding and a false accusation that comes together and it throws the whole city into confusion. Through the whole city, everything. I mean, it's like it starts a riot. The people are writing. They grab Paul. They drag him out of the temple. They shut the door to make sure nobody else gets back in. <laughs> you know, it's like they want to make sure everything's there. They probably had to go through a cleansing ritual to, to cleanse it once a, a, a Greek had been in there. But here it is, this mass confusion. And then we read a few verses down where they're actually beating Paul in the middle of this. Paul is being beaten up. And so the Roman soldiers come and Paul is arrested by the Roman soldiers. Now, to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Hey, that guy's getting beat up. Arrest him. <laughs> That's actually what happened. They see a guy getting beat up, so they put him under arrest. Now, if you're getting beat up, do you think the police ought to show up and arrest you? If you're in Paul's place? To me, I'm going like, what? Why would they do that? Well, I'm sure they're assuming that Paul must have done something wrong because the religious leaders had to be out there. And so they, they were thinking that Paul must have done something, so the Jews are really upset, so they arrest Paul, and they begin to ask people one, about the charges. So, so what charges are there? What, what has he done wrong? Okay, the religious leaders are out there. You, you see this whole city's in confusion. This guy must have really done something bad. What did he do? And you notice they've got centurions out there. Centurions were leaders of a hundred men. And there's more than one. So they've got the captains there out there. They're, they've got soldiers out there. I mean, they're trying to put down a riot that is starting. It's not a little thing. It is a big thing. It's not four or five guys. It's the whole city. To where the Roman commander is saying, we're putting this riot down. This guy's the cause what did he do? So one person yells this, he did, he did, and the next guy's yelling, he did, and they're yelling at each other, and they're yelling so much, and the poor guy he looks over, well, what did he do? I don't know, I don't know, what did he do? What did you do? I don't know. It's like, 
No, he has no idea. He absolutely has no idea why he just arrested this guy. He has put him in chains. He is with modern handcuffs, and they're leading him away. Chained up for getting beat up. And this Roman leader has no idea why. He has no idea why. The crowd shouting one thing, and he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. So he orders Paul to be brought into the barracks. They're trying to take him in. We'll find out later there's also a misidentification. The Roman leader had begun to suspect oh, maybe he's this Egyptian guy that has been you know, causing trouble. And maybe that's him. He's the guy that's out there. And he finds out he's not. And that's for Pastor John to pick up. Whether he wants to bring that out next week or not, I don't know. But uh, that's not part of this passage. But we understand that there's also a misidentification in this whole mess. And here's this riot. And you know what? That's where we're going to leave it this week. Merry Christmas. We're not going to finish this message. Because <laughs> we're in the middle of a story. We're right in the middle of a story that's been ongoing, that's flowing. And so last week, Pastor John was preaching. We're, he's going to have to pick up with the next passage next week. And uh, we're going to end it there with the whole city in confusion. And so, well, what has this got to do with anything? How does this passage apply to us? Paul, Paul was living out, I do all things for the gospel. And whether he should have gone back into the temple or not can be debated. Whether he should have taken part in the, the Old Testament offering system or not can be debated. And I don't care who you read, if you're going to pick up a commentary on the book of Acts, uh, you're going to read, if you read about five different authors, you're going to have about 15 different opinions because one's going to say, well, some say this, some say this, some say and we could debate that, but one thing I do know that Paul, whatever he was doing, he was trying to share the gospel. He was trying to make it so the message would be received. And we see him living this out in his life. Now, I started with the idea of salvation being the gift worth suffering for. That the salvation that Jesus Christ brings, of course, salvation really came with the death, burial, and resurrection. But you never would have gotten to the death of Christ if we didn't have the birth of Christ. Early church didn't spend a whole lot of time really celebrating the birth. It was the death, burial, and resurrection because that was the fulfillment of the law and the salvation that it brings. But we cannot look at the coming of Christ without realizing how Christ 
emptied himself and gave up everything in heaven to come and to be with us. And there is no way that any human being can endure the same suffering that Christ himself suffered. And Jesus Christ said, it is worth it to me to be born as a human being, to live as part of my own creation, to redeem my creation back to me. He said it's worth it. Paul said, I will do anything for the gospel. Everything I do, my whole life is going to be focused around the gospel of Jesus Christ. As he spent time fighting against the message, he fought just as hard or harder for the message and proclaiming the message. The gift that Jesus Christ brings was worth it to Paul to go back into that temple to offer that sacrifice or that present that offering. And it was worth it to him to endure the beatings because you're going to see what happens in the next verses as you continue that story. What he saw and what he did for the gospel. And yesterday morning, I guess it was actually Friday morning, I was sitting at my desk and I was really praying, Lord, how does this apply to our church? What is it? That, what, what's the message? And, and what's the application? And I just got to thinking, I wonder how many really have this gift. Do you have this gift, the gift that's worth suffering for? Have you ever come to the point where you've accepted the gift that Jesus Christ brought? Have you ever come to the point where you said, yes, Lord, I will follow you no matter what? That's first and foremost. Do you personally have that gift and experience the free gift of Jesus Christ, the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ brings? And if you do, what are you willing to suffer to share this gift with others? What would you have done if you were in Paul's place? I like to think that I probably would not have gone back into the temple, but... I don't know, I wasn't there, but I try to picture the scene and think about what would I do. What would I do if they're beating me up and I just get arrested for being beaten up? But you can look at his whole life and you see what, what he was doing for the gospel. Paul wasn't a perfect man. We see his mistakes in Scripture and we, we know that he made mistakes just like every other human being. But we also saw that he, or we see that he was willing to suffer to share this gift with others. 
so that others could come to know the joy that Jesus Christ brings. His law is love. He came to bring peace. Peace between us and God, our Creator. What are you willing to endure to share that gift with others?